Johnny is on my phone. Let me just say one more time. My phone. Just because he called me. Um, and uh, <laughs> Sergey is over there reminding him that we are FCC regu- <laughs> regulated here. Because he's hilarious, but um, also he, he cusses like I do when I'm not on the air. So <laughs> That's right. All right. I love this man. So we have Johnny McGovern on air. The entertainer, the singer, the actor, the podcast host, the man of everything. The gay pimp. Gay pimp. Johnny, welcome to the show. Hello. What's up, you guys? Hey, not Hi. much. It is. I can't tell you how long I've been watching you and so how thrilling this is for me just to hear your voice talking to us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk to you in a real sexy Ooh. way. Ooh. Real good. You have, Jonathan's <laughs> melting over here. I have, you have such a gay Barry White going yeah. on. No, that's the, exactly what I've been going for all these years. Or should I say that's what I've been let me tell you i'll work out and i'm listening to your songs when i'm on the elliptical and the whole you'll be doing your barry white voice and i'm like having to look around making sure no one's staring at me because yeah. i'm getting all i sweat a little more so, oh i'm bothered i like it yeah awesome so johnny so thank you so much for taking the time for outspoken um our little show out here in the northwest we want to start by you know we like to start by kind of getting an idea of where the artists have come from. And what's fascinating is to look at, you know, like you grew up in Egypt and Thailand, which I'll tell you, I have followed you, but that never, never did I know this. Can you tell us a little bit about how that upbringing informed you as the man you are today? Well, um, you know, I was born in Brooklyn, and when I was eight, I moved to Thailand mm-hmm. and lived there for five years, and then moved to Egypt when I was 13 and lived there all the way through high school. So I was great. I got a global perspective. I got to travel around a lot. And American pop culture for me was always in big doses once or twice a year. My grandmother would Mm -hmm. record Mm -hmm. TV shows for me on VHS (laughs) tape and send me huge boxes of the Golden Girls and Designing Women and all these TV shows. (laughs) And then for the rest of the year, I would just watch them over and over and over again. So in my room uh, growing up, you know, it was like a picture of Aretha Franklin and Pat yeah, Bell, the cast of 227, and a fake autographed <laughs> poster of the Golden Girls that I autographed <laughs> to myself. And and who knew that later in life you would do an ode to St. Olaf? In exactly. Your music. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it was, if you went back into a time machine, you'd be like, that little homo. Yeah. I'm going to do a... Do a tribute to St. Olaf. I know, that alone, the fact that you had an autographed picture, faker, I'm not fake, of the Golden Girls, yeah, that's that's homorific, is what that is. Homorific, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I know that, you know, if you look at the gay gene under a microscope, it's just four little genes eating cheesecake. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, So what was, when did you come out, or when did you have that awakening and you knew you were, you know, a big gay man? Um, well, I think it definitely was bubbling up through high school, but mm-hmm. going to school in Egypt was not really the most welcoming place. I think, yeah. uh, you <laughs> know, crazy. the only, again, the, again, with Golden Girls, the only gay person I saw on TV or saw anywhere was Blanche's gay brother and the right. Golden Girls and right. or my closeted choir teacher. And that was not really anyone that, uh, made me be like, yeah, gay, awesome. Right, right. So it wasn't until I went back to uh, the States and to theater school at Boston University, which was, like, homorific, where I didn't even have yeah. to come out. Everyone just assumed I was gay. So yeah, right, right. It was kind of easy. Yeah, By t- the time I come out to myself, everyone was like, we knew. We knew sure. already, okay? Yeah, they took the struggle right out. 
which is amazing. Yeah, but then, um, and then when I moved to New York is mm-hmm. when I really came into myself and started mm-hmm. to, uh, started to, you know, become sort of have all the influences that, you know, made me the artist that I am today with going to night, going to nightclubs and meeting people and, you know, having a boyfriend for the first time. I mean, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Right. Is the most important thing because we don't get to date as teenagers, at least right. back then. Now, you know, now they do, but I mean, it's the kind of validation you don't get until you're like, "Wow, I'm worthy of someone's love and lust and whatever." And when you don't have that, uh, I don't think you're fully yourself yet. So it's great that these days these little kids are doing it earlier and earlier. <laughs> and yeah, little yeah. boyfriends at thirteen or fourteen, they lead to better self-esteem for the future generations, hopefully. And did you think, you know, you say you moved back, you went to uh, Boston U- University there to study acting. Um, was that, how awakening was that? I mean, when did the seeds of, you know what, I'm I'm going to be an entertainer, uh, when did you stumble across that life? Oh, I mean, that was from, like, forever. I've, I've been, like, when I was in, like, in fifth and sixth grade, I was, like, making little sitcom show sitcom like pay, pretend uh on my vhs videotape uh with yeah. my friends like <laughs> then i would make my english teacher play them in class and i would make them for extra credit <laughs> they all had terrible basic concepts i was obsessed with sitcoms and like one of the sitcoms that i i made my friends and act was called grin and barrett it was about <laughs> a hillbilly family called the barrett who's yeah. a, a sassy exchange student from australia he's a rock and roll named roger grin so it was called grin and barrett <laughs> that's actually kind of brilliant i'm not gonna lie that's so hilarious why isn't that a uh, why isn't that like, a real sitcom I, wore, I think i wore my purple punk rock wig and i was like hello i like yeah. music i have no concept of what that meant but i thought that sounded like a sassy and, sitcom and this was in egypt was it yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and at that same time, I also wrote, I was obsessed with Lucille Ball and uh, I Love Lucy oh God. and Life with Lucy. And I wrote sure, her a sure. letter with a concept for her new, for a new sitcom for her. I think this was when I was in seventh grade. Yeah. I wrote her a letter as if I was a real Hollywood executive being like, I think Miss Ball would enjoy the new sitcom called Lucille. <laughs> and she actually wrote me back, which became like the most amazing thing that wow. ever in my life. Wow. And then uh, I brought it to school. I show it was basically her being like, nice try, kid. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was very, very sweet <laughs> and made me be like, this is it. This is it for me, me and Lucille. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going places. Well, yeah. I think that's amazing. That's where it started that career, Lucille. She got you know, here. You also yeah. you what really took off for you was you you created this character called the gay pimp. And if you if you read articles and things, you you say that it started with kind of it was a reaction to Eminem. Can you kind of flesh out how the gay pimp came came to existence? I when I first moved to New York, you know, I was doing the regular actor thing, and then I uh, kind of got bored just waiting around for people to uh, give you a part or you know do something for you. So I started performing one man shows, and in in the process of trying to promote that, I discovered this little theater on the Lower East Side called Surf Reality, and had this Sunday night open mic that was full of comedians, poets, strippers, fire breathers. It was like the most eclectic place ever. Um, and I started to perform characters there and get tons of attention from that crowd and validation. Mm-hmm. And we started performing these midnight musicals there called Grindhouse to Go-Go, um, which I sort of eventually kind of 
the shows got bigger and bigger, and I started taking more and more control of them. During that time was right when Eminem had come out with his first record mm-hmm. and was mm-hmm. kind of throwing the F word around not and not F-U-C, you know what I mean? Oh, right, yeah. F-A-G word. Um, and uh, I remember watching the media's reaction to it and being shocked that people weren't really outraged by it. Even the ladies on The View were like, mm-hmm. well, he's a little controversial, but we really enjoy him. <laughs> I'd be like, this is, this is terrible. This yeah. is terrible. <laughs> I remember they, they were yeah. protesting at the Grammys that year, but they made them protest across the street. And I was like, this mm-hmm. is not, we can't do this. The only way to protest is to write a musical and perform it on the Lower East Side at midnight. Yeah. So I wrote this musical called The Wrong Fag to F With. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the gay pimp versus Eminem. And it was it, it was with the gay pimp as the, the show opened with this little character, Timmy, hearing this Eminem song that was all about bashing homos. And feeling sad, and then the the voiceover said, "And now the new single from the Gay Pimp." And it was the wrong fag to ask with, and the lights came up on me, and it was like, "You pick the wrong fag this way." Like, I better. <laughs> and then the show flashed to the MTV Video Music Awards, where Gay Pimp was like the pop star, and Eminem yeah. was there, and yeah. there was all these different characters. And that show became kind of a hit on the Lower East Side, and got us a lot of press. And I started to perform the songs that from the show as gay pimp around New York at, t- at little tiny clubs. But I would bring tons of drag queens and go-go boys dressed in soccer uniforms. And we were, it was during the sort of Britney in sync hugeness. So sure, really yeah, yeah, yeah. With that. So we were doing these big MTV Video Music Awards style performances at these tiny venues. And uh, that was kind of how that started. Eventually a Broadway producer saw one of the shows and was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, what? I think I want to make a video. Yeah. And that was before YouTube. So we really had no idea of what it would be. I just was kind of satisfying a creative desire. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. uh, we made it, shot it, and suddenly it became a sensation. And I didn't even really understand it because now we have a concept for that kind of thing. We know you can right. make a video that goes on YouTube, has right. millions of views, and you become famous. Uh Soccer Practice, which was the the song that we did the video for, became famous in video bars around the state. So I was sitting broke in my Harlem apartment, not really understanding that I was a superstar all around the country <laughs> until they started playing it on MTV Europe and Asia. And I was like, I think this is working. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it hasn't really stopped for you. I mean, the gay pimp has gone on to record quite a lot. And I'm not going to lie, I love the videos you shoot, so I'll be flying in to yeah, be part please, of that. Please don't stop, in fact. <laughs> we will appreciate that. <laughs> Do well, you... you know, it's, um, it's something that's always been really fun and mm. uh, a great outlet for my creativity and a fun way to pretend to play pop star, you know, sometimes right. I really enjoy it. Right, absolutely. So it's interesting to hear the story behind the gay pimp and how that started. Um, another one of your really big successes is the Big Gay Sketch Show. <laughs> That's it. amazing, and a lot of people love it, and great people on there. Uh, your friend Stephen Garino, we've talked to him before. Uh-huh. He's a, a He's fantastic great. guy. Yeah. So, how was your experience with you know Big Gay Sketch Show? How did you get on that? How what was what was the story behind there? I know there's going to be a fantastic one. Well, the producers um, mm-hmm. had had contacted me when right before they were doing auditions. And I think actually one, I was throwing parties in New York kind of as my day job, my nighttime right. day job. I would throw sort of stripper parties in New York on Friday and Saturday nights. And one of the producers 
came through the party and came like behind the little go-go curtain to find me like on my phone surrounded by changing strippers. I was like, Johnny? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's me. Like, hi, we're, we have a show we're really interested in having you audition for. I was like, all right, move over, Nick, you guy. Yeah. Move over, y'all. You can talk to this person. <laughs> um, so even with that auspicious start, they brought me in uh, to audition, and um, I think I auditioned like three or four times, mm-hmm. uh, eventually auditioning for Rosie. Right. And then we uh, we just started it, and it was, it was a really, it was a fun experience, and, and it was a, a strange experience because we would only shoot that show two months out of a year. Oh, so wow. they would write for a month, and we shot the whole series for that year in a month. So you'd have a month of being like, I am a TV star. Yeah. I don't know how to tie my shoes. <laughs> like people would literally be tying your shoes, doing everything for you. And then a month later, you'd be like, what? hey, am I going to tie my shoes anymore? Excuse me. No. Because Logo was on such a tight budget, they would, you know, we'd shoot a show and then it would sit in the can for a year because mm-hmm. it was from next year's budget. So sure. we were all still hustling and still trying to make things happen while that was happening. But I met a lot of great people on the show and um, became really close friends with Julie Goldman. I was going to yeah. say, you still work with Julie together. Goldman. I know. Yeah, totally. We do. She started becoming part of my podcast when I moved to New York. She's and, hilarious. Uh, she's definitely one of my super besties. See, I, and I love, so, you know, notoriously, we made fools of ourselves on this show and did a little lip sync to uh, Gayest of All Time. But I love when... <laughs> she did. <laughs> it, was, it was fun, though. But it nothing, was a blast. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought you guys were adorable. I tweeted uh, it out. I yeah, know you were so thank nice. Thank you for to that. Us. That was amazing. Thank you for doing that. I do want to say, you know, I was I loved seeing and it's a fan thing, I know. You know, I was a huge fan of Big Gay Sketch Show. In my opinion, it should have just went on for years and years. Um you all were so talented and so funny, but it's what was fun as a fan is to watch the video for Gayest of All Time and Julie Goldman pop up. You know, and you just yeah, get all you know, We shot that video at an amazing weekend that we did. We did, you know, I've been doing the the, uh, Gay Penfin slash Gayest of All Time podcast for Mm -hmm. only nine years now. So about a year ago, year and a half ago now, we we did a weekend at this tiny little gay resort in Florida where I Mm -hmm. brought all the cast of the podcast from New York, all the cast of the podcast from L.A., and um, we... Uh, offered uh, tickets to all of our biggest fans who flew in and we did an entire weekend where we did shows and we did performances and all the, all the stuff, all the drag queens mm-hmm. and people that we had talked about on the show for all those years. They finally got to see them live, do all these shows and interact with them. And that, that we had scheduled so many things for the weekend. And the last thing we scheduled was a video shoot for the gayest of all time. And I thought we're in Florida. We'll be by the pool Everyone will be sexy. Well, last Sunday, after a beautiful weekend, it was rainy, cold, and wet. And I was of like, course. we still have to shoot the video. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like, well, shoot it in the club. I ran to the club because it was a little resort with like a nightclub and another little mm-hmm. area, another little area. Ran to the nightclub. They're like, no, it's the bear line dancing. You can't go in there. Oh, so oh wow. We ended up in this tiny little yeah. long room. And I have my uh, director of photography with me. And I said, look, we have this tiny space. I want you to make it look good for the video. So that video was shot on a tiny square with the pink lights that we brought, and it's full of all of the fans who are, like, the biggest podcast fans, plus all the people who have been part of the podcast singing a song that was generated on the podcast. So that's it was a, a really special video because it includes all the, of the biggest fans of the show as well as all of my 
super closest friends and collaborators. Well, I've got to tell you, the uh, energy and that kind of uh, chemistry shows in that video because you cannot watch it or listen to that song without just being pumped up. You know, being excited. Well, I love that song because it's a, you know, I love a, I love a gay pride anthem. When I first played it for Erica yeah. Obvious, yeah. she was like, I'm going to cry. It's a song. I love it. It kind of gives you a, it's like a throw your hands in the air gay pride anthem. And that's, uh, oh, yeah, it so I is. I look forward to singing every summer when I yeah. go perform at gay pride. Well, obviously it made us dance. Yeah, we threw our hands up in the Horribly, air. Horribly, but we <laughs> danced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. We, we, we take pride in that. Um, so this, this video was made with, um, people from the podcast. But you, you have like 50 podcasts. You have, yeah, you have so many. What's, nine years. What is, what is the story with that? What's the deal with the podcast? Well, you know, um, after, uh, soccer practice mm-hmm. and, uh, that whole thing, I ended up, my, I, I parted ways with the manager at the time, but I was still, uh, you know, I still had what I always like to keep in my life with one of my best friends slash nerds in your pocket. You always, you've got to have <laughs> a nerd in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they know what's the future. Yeah. So we, uh, he was like, I think you should look into podcasting. Is it? And he was like, I think this is what you should do next. You have all your fans know you from the internet. Yeah. And this is where you should go. And this was like 2000, maybe the end of 2004. Um, maybe the beginning of 2005. Anyway, uh, we went to, we decided we were going to do it. And, uh, originally it was going to just be me just doing it sort of like a radio, like a solo radio style. But I was hanging out with one of my best friends who's the drag queen Linda James. Oh, and yeah. we were having lots of fun and making music together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were, I was like, you know, the kind of conversations we're having now when we're recording and in the studio, you know, I think they'll be fun. We were reading lots of tabloids and talking smack about celebrities. So we thought the combination of me and Linda James and Martine, who's our my mm-hmm. nerd in my pocket and a straight married guy, would be a great combination. And uh, it, it turned, we found a tiny little studio in Brooklyn, which actually was where I recorded the first demos of soccer practice. Mm-hmm. The kind of place where if you spilled something on the floor, the guy who would run the studio just said, let it lie, man. <laughs> um, and we started doing the podcast and kind of just inventing the formula. And it ended up being one of the most rewarding things I've ever done because it not only became like a, a diary for me, because I've literally done the show every week for nine years. Mm-hmm. But I was able to sort of capture some of the most amazing nightlife personalities and drag queens and just regular queens and people who might have just, whose stories and the stories that they had to tell might have just disappeared into the ether. But because of the podcast, they're, they're there. And, sure, uh, yeah. There's been so much creative stuff that came out of the podcast, albums and music, and um, it continues. And it was also a great... A great way. I, I got the most fan response from that kind of thing because a lot of you know gay people who are in places where they're not living in the gay bubble, like I was in New York, mm-hmm. um, were able to feel you know sort of some of that super gay energy and, and get and get a little and feed off of that and take it and put it in their own lives. I got a lot of response from young younger gays who listened. It was like that podcast helped me come out of the closet, helped right. me find mm-hmm. myself, helped me feel good about myself. So that's extremely rewarding and it's also fun that i can look back if i if i don't remember jokes or i need material i can just go back and listen to old podcasts. right yeah i mean nine years ago i'm gonna use that yeah (laughs) i mean and you mentioned just regular queen so you know you don't have to pull our leg we'll we'll come on and do your show it's okay (laughs) 
sure. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Now, how many podcasts do you have going right now? Well, what I'm doing, I, I just have the day, it's a day. It was originally called Day Tempo with Johnny McGovern, mm-hmm. but then I kind of rebranded it uh, about a year ago, Gayest of All Time, so along okay. with my blog. Yeah. Um, and then I'm my biggest focus right now is actually a a web series called Hey Queen, right? Which is uh, an interview talk show. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it's kind of taking the energy of the podcast, but doing it in a, in a you know a high quality, high you know production value situation. I have a great production partner called the stream.tv who said I could basically do whatever I want. Mm-hmm, so yeah. uh, we have a set and we were able to bring a lot of the a lot of the LGBT artists mm-hmm. and stars who don't have another place to on, mm-hmm. you know, to sit mm-hmm. down like you would on the Tonight Show or wherever else. Like you right. can, you know, we get to hear those stories and those experiences. I mean, for example, like the RuPaul's Drag Race girls those are huge stars in our community. Yes, People exactly. Are with them, but you can't really find too many interviews on camera with them that aren't mm-hmm. like just filmed backstage at That's a pride yeah. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. This is a place where I can really get into it. Or someone like Peaches Christ or Jake Shears from Scissor Sisters or RuPaul was on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a place where I can really get into uh, get into it as I like to call it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. It is the Gay Tonight Show, and it is very entertaining. Anybody listening out there, if you have a chance, go check out Hey Queen with Johnny McGovern because it is nothing less than. It's fantastic. We were watching it before the show, and it was uh, the one with Michelle Visage, and it was fan freaking fantastic. Yeah, fan freaking fantastic. Oh, thank you. I've really been having so much fun doing it, and um, I've been doing a lot of stand-up comedy over the last couple of years. Oh, yeah? I wanted to yeah. find a new way to kind of be, have a place where I could do that where people would really see it because, you know, a lot of times when you're performing stand-up, you're doing it for, you know, 30 to 50 mm-hmm. people at a right. tiny club. So Hey Queen allows me not only to talk to people that I'm interested in but to start every show with some of my comedy and have a way to get it out there. Exactly. Now, way. Anything, so you're continuing with Hey Queen, obviously, it it's, continues to garner more and more fans. Anything uh, that you want us to know about that you're doing? Like, maybe you have a performance in Spokane we didn't know about? No. <laughs> I mean, I, would, I wish that I did. You need to talk to somebody in Spokane. Oh, it's happening. Them. I'm looking for a lumberjack-style husband, so oh. <laughs> get, me, get me a show out there. <laughs> I will I will hook you up. Yeah. So, <laughs> who have you? It's spoke, we've got lots of lumberjack we got lots of them lined up, actually. That's what I heard. I need mm-hmm. a big, muscly, hairy-shouldered lumberjack. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. <laughs> That's fantastic. You definitely have the... So I'll come in and hang out in the back of one of your video shoots because you have plenty of husband material for me in your video shoots. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, they're all they're all pretty good. I am surrounded by lots of sexy gentlemen all the time. Yeah, all yes, the you, time you and are. mostly naked, too, I, right. a little bit. We appreciate it. Uh, very by appreciated. Design, by design, yes. yeah. <laughs> by design. Now, Johnny, it's you know your persona is really larger than life. And hilarious, and I know you know anybody who's in, who thinks about it or is in media at all knows that that is only a part of you. How do you stay, like grounded and connected, um, you know, away from that the gay pimp, that huge life that he has. 
Um, you know, that's all. I mean, obviously, part of that is my personality. Because, mm-hmm. Right. You know, it doesn't come from nowhere. <laughs> right. I enjoy, enjoy being surrounded by strippers and sexy gentlemen. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I like being a, in your face with my gayness as I possibly could be. And I do live in a beautiful rainbow-colored gay bubble. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Know, it's like... It's like uh, but on the other hand, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, someone who's a really good friend, and I'm really close to my family. I'm actually in Arizona right now uh, celebrating my grandmother's 100th birthday. So mm-hmm. I come wow. out and take care of my, my parents and grandmother every, once a month from L.A. And I'm oh. um, really close with the people that I'm really friends with, I really care about and spend a lot of time with. So, you know, when you're, when you're with, I work with all my friends, so, you know, they, none of us have time for BS. So, you know, we all keep it extremely real with each other. Plus, after being in the public eye, uh, especially on the Internet for so long, no one lets you really get away with too much. No. Yeah. The comments never need to be brought down. Scroll down to the comments. Yeah. They'll, okay, they'll that's so true. They'll bring you back to earth, honey. They'll let you remember <laughs> yeah. Yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Did you and just lose 30 pounds or they just thought you gained 10? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> And you, I think for the last round of videos I did, yeah. I did three months of intensive three-hour day workouts. Oh. I lost like 30 pounds. And someone <laughs> in one of the videos is like, looks like someone gained the freshman 15. Oh, like, wow. Oh, <laughs> 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 wow. So, you know, it's one of those things where uh, now I can let everything roll off my back. There was right. a, a lot sure. of years yeah. where that kind of thing affected me, but... Uh, you have to just kind of just in today's universe mm. of Twitter and Facebook and right. everyone commenting, you know, you just have to get used to it. But then I can look, you know, I was just looking at Madonna's new album and I looked down at the reviews and they were like, she's back. She's amazing. She's the worst. It's right. right. Yeah. It's like, you know what? Everybody's got an opinion. Yes, they and do. To, and they to, love to be extreme. Just, I have mm-hmm. to just believe in my work and my art because exactly. that's really what it is. It's about creating things that I find interesting mm-hmm. that, I, that I think my fans will like and not being worried about the rest. I agree. Right. And you know, you're, you're doing amazing for those of us who are huge fans. I mean, you can do no wrong. Before we wrap up this interview, I just want to ask what I try to ask anybody who is, uh, you know, has celebrity of some note talking to the younger generation, the ones that, have aspirations to be up on the stage to sing. They're the the young, shy, gay person. Do you have any words of advice for that person listening? Um, Well, I mean, I think it's really about, you know, these days everybody wants to get famous right away. But that's not always the greatest gift to yourself. Preparation is the best thing. It's really about... Uh, it's about finding who you are and really honing your craft and your art and figuring out your voice. Because once you make your, you only make your debut one time. Mm-hmm. You only have the fresh eyes of the world on you one time. And I remember being in college and like literally waking up in cold sweats, being like, "Why am I famous yet? Why am I famous?" <laughs> but uh, you know, when I finally did become famous in quotes you know that was my one moment and it's very brief that your first moment to introduce yourself to the world and then the work really begins even if you make a big splash the first time there's a million other people making a million other splashes and you have to continue to persevere reinvent rebrand to keep moving forward and Mm -hmm. it's not always easy but if you really believe in what you're doing 
um, you can keep it going. So I, I, I think it's really about finding your voice and staying true to yourself and not don't jump the gun. Like don't right. don't audition for RuPaul's Drag Race when you're 22 or <laughs> yeah, or if you're not prepared, honey, because they will rip you to shreds. Yes, yeah, they will. Yeah, That's and do it because you love it, not you know, not for any other reason, and you'll mm-hmm. be just fine. I love that. Um, thank you for the advice, and thank you for having this interview, um, calling in and talking to us. Before we let you go, uh, we do this thing that we ask all of our celebrity guests to say, and it's saying your name. So saying, this is Johnny McGovern, and you are listening to Outspoken. Um, do you think you could do that? And okay. we always ask it on the air, so it's harder to tell us no. Exactly. <laughs> Pressure's on. Okay, sure, sure. No. Hell no. See you later, fool. <laughs> Let's Love it. Wine. Um. <laughs> we need all of that in there as well. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this is your day pimp daddy, Johnny McGovern, and you are listening to Outspoken. Hey, wine. Johnny McGovern, it, it, it has been like a dream to actually be able to talk to you. Thank you so much for getting us in your busy schedule today on this Sunday. My pleasure, and thank you guys for being fans and caring about the work. It really does make a difference. And when I am like, what am I going to do next? People like you that make a, make a difference for uh, keeping my ass going, keeping my gayness <laughs> flowing. So thank you, babies. Thank you. You have a uh, wonderful day, perfect. Johnny. We will we will stalk you in the future. We'll be following you right, everywhere. Guys, happy New Year. Gay Tim Daddy loves you. <laughs> uh-huh. Bye. And that was the gay pimp. The gay pimp, Johnny McGovern. I've been in love with him for years, and so that was a whole lot of fun to talk to him. So. And what a big personality. Huge. That, fantastic, fantastic. I, like, I, I need him to talk to me in the gay Barry White voice. Oh, yeah. that was Wow, it's like rich molasses flowing. Oh, see you. I'm on it Good today. sassy, but we're going to take a quick break, come back and wrap up the last two hours we are. of Outspoken. We're going to actually tone it down just a touch with uh, Ingrid Michaelson's B.O.K., okay.